So welcome everyone uh, again to this special episode of the Business Exchange, how the business works, brought to you by the American Business Council, the voice of American business in Nigeria. The Business Exchange is a bi-weekly program where ex- business executives and industry experts share insights on how business works and with a deep dive into stories that we have around different sectors and you know different issues also around policies. My name is Margaret Olili and I'm your host for the show. Now, today we will be discussing um, the, the rise of unicorns. I mean, I like the, the word unicorn as a child, you know, the whole thing about unicorns and the fable, you know, around this strange animal and all that has always held this fascination for me. But now it's used in a, in a fairly different way to refer to um, issues that are even impacting uh, in terms of the growth of the economy. And so we have seen the rise of unicorns in Nigeria and the impact it's had on the society since then. Um, we know that, you know, um, these days, when they talk about unicorn, it's, it's, it refers to privately held startup companies, maybe with a value of over $1 billion, according to uh, Investopedia. Uh, so, and it's usually, usually used now for venture capital, um, uh, in the venture capital industry. So, um, it, it refers to rare and, you know, unique uh, innovation. And we have seen a lot of them, you know, uh, come under the belt uh, in Nigeria. I would say that Nigeria has become what we call the land of unicorns, proudly so. We have seen the flutter waves of the world. We have seen the interswitch. We've seen Opay. We've seen Andela. And Nigeria's booming digital payment companies have facilitated their transactions for the unbanked and created a new payment infrastructure for Nigeria. Now we're talking about people having to make payments because of the the challenges we have around cash. And this is even becoming a lot more important. Uh, On the back of the 2020s uh, global uh, pandemic, the the, the tech industry in Nigeria uh, received more attention attention from users and investors. And, you know, with new things like what we are facing now, we are seeing even a lot more uh, attention being paid to to that space. And um, among some of the, um, the headlines, positive headlines that came from you know, the COVID experience and all that include even Stripe's 200 million acquisition of Paystack and and a lot of other things. But, you know, that also um, comes with um, other issues um, around the um, partnership with Visa and, you know, um, Walpi and, uh, you know, Flutterwave raising 20 million. And I mean, we can go on and on and on. But the, the 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 main thing is that beyond the digital payment space, we have also been assessing um, um, startups that have, have played a critical role in the health sector. And one of them is Health Biotics Limited. So uh, today, so that I do not, um, you know, talk about this, we have with me Dr. Imodoi Abioro, and we also have Tunde Yebamji with us. Uh, Imodoi is, I hope I can call you Imodoi without having to put the doctor, um, <laughs> is, is someone who, you know, I've found very fascinating in the conversations that we've had, and as well as, uh, you know, as well as Tunde. And, um, they, they have th- this organization they have is an innovative health technology startup that's focused on building AI driven health solutions uh, for the African market. And uh, I mean, the, 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 it goes on and on. But I think the most important and most uh, 
uh, up-to-date information I have, because I'm sure they have a lot to share with us, is that they are the winners of the 2022 African Digital Competition by the U.S. State Chamber of Commerce, and they were um, given the, the 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 their gift, you know, by the the Secretary of State of the uh, for for the U.S. So today I welcome um, I welcome two of you, um, Imodoye and Tunde. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us, Ma. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, and we really look forward to having a great time and a great discussion. Okay, thanks a lot. So, can you tell us, um, and this will be Tunde, or it, it depends on how you want to you want this to flow. Can you tell us um, the, um, I mean, really, what led to this? How did this start? Who wants to start with this? <laughs> I, I guess I should start. Okay, um, great. So, so I, Cindy has been my friend since medical school. We actually both went to the same medical school, the University of Ibadan College of Medicine. Um, she was one year my junior, and we belonged to the same um, charity organization while we were medical students. Um, but the whole idea of health bodies actually started um, in 2017 when I um, experienced a very sad tragedy. So at the time, my best friend, uh, we grew up together in Lagos, um, and I'd known him since I was seven. We went to the same primary schools and, you know, we've been friends. So he'd finished university because I was in medical school. So I was in my fifth year and he had graduated from university and was working with the road safety court, the federal road safety court, uh, in Lagos. Uh, but he was stationed on the Lagos Ibadan Expressway. He was involved in an accident uh, and he suffered a laceration to the thigh. And in that moment, he was brought to the emergency department of the teaching hospital where we were training um, as medical students back then. He was blood type O negative, And unfortunately, that night when he was brought in, our blood bank did not have O negative blood. Uh, so it was, about, it was about 11 p.m. And I was called from the hostel by his mom that you know, he was in A and E. I got there. He was that bled a lot. He was really, really pale, and so we had to go out into the city of Ibadan that night looking for blood banks that had O negative blood in stock. Problem was I had no idea where blood banks in Ibadan were because I had never had to go look for blood. I was a medical student. I, that wasn't really uh, my primary role there. So the summary of it was we couldn't get blood that night. Uh, we, we finally gave up on the search and came back to the A&E around 2 a.m. By the time we got back, that started CPR in him and he passed away. Uh, it was oh, wow. a really, really difficult uh, moment. It was a really difficult thing to take because I had this really rosy idea of how healthcare was going to be and how, what I was going to be like when I became a doctor. That entire dream was kind of shattered that night because I was brutally brought down to earth on the reality of the health system. In Nigeria, I mean, our teaching hospital was the biggest, or is still the biggest teaching hospital in Nigeria. It's an 800 bed facility. We see probably anywhere between 50 to 100,000 patients every year. So it's a massive institution. This is not a small hospital, it's the biggest in Nigeria. And something as basic as blood running out actually happened in that hospital. Uh, so that was where I got the first uh, inspiration for this from. Fortunately, Cindy, in my grieving moment, I, you know, Cindy happened to also have had something similar well, with his uh, younger sister. 
a couple of years before that. Uh, so we kind of were two friends who had similar opinions and it kind of made us grow closer together and discuss more in detail uh, this problem that had cost both of us so much time. And it was in those conversations that the seeding ideas for health politics and the problems we solve today actually came about. Wow, that is that is huge. Uh, you know, um, I've I've always been told that if we um, positively channel, um, you know, our pain and uh, challenges, you know, uh, appropriately, uh, it could become the the seed to 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 great outcomes, not just for ourselves in terms of helping us to rejuvenate, but even helping society. And this is an example of. Of of how this you know has uh, translated into into something really positive, and and I'm I'm really happy. I know that you know when we had the conversations, which we would get to about what next and what next and what next. Uh, you know, obviously, I know this is just um, a tip of the iceberg. But but let's go to um, the 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 big thing that happened last year. Um, first of all, just out of curiosity, why did um, health biotics enroll? Uh, for the 2022 African Digital Competition. And and uh, today, maybe this could be you, if you're able to pick this quickly. Yeah, I mean, thank you very much for, for the question, actually. I think, um, first, I mean, first of all, we, it's very important to state that, like, we, something similar was actually organized in Nigeria about, like, a year before, it kind of a Nigerian and digital entrepreneurship competition by the same organization. So we were, we came second, uh, the first one up for that one. So and seeing that, seeing the the value of what, what that brought to us, the attention, the, uh, the the of course the capital investment as well as the extra mentorship and support, we thought I, I mean getting to this bigger scale, we actually like do a lot more for our venture and for people we serve. So when we saw the application, I was even a bit uh, I was a bit uh, no I, I told Imondo that I mean. I, is it sure we're actually like eligible to apply for this? And it was, well, we never know until we try anyways, because I thought since we were part of the winners for the, the Nigerian edition, then we may not be able to apply for this, uh, the, the continental edition. So they said we should, and then we did. And of course, we're looking forward to the extra opportunity actually being on that stage is most of the time, operating in Nigeria, you need a kind of validation in a way. Of course, we are doing some great things on the ground. People don't see it, people don't know what you're doing. But if you get to those, if you are opportunity to actually be on the world stage where people see you, you share your story, you share what actually like led you to starting what you're doing and you share your impact story. People actually get to connect what you're doing and they're even more motivated to come and see what you're doing on the ground. Of course, and of course, share testimony from people that have been affected positively by this venture. So we applied because we thought this would be a kind of a, a grand, a, a kind of stage for us to actually share our story. One, number two, get support in terms of finances, mentorship, connect with leaders in the industry as well as uh, uh, what's the name, uh, uh, people in the private sector that are actually willing to actually back um, tech health tech entrepreneurs on the continent. Well, that's, that's great. And uh, how has it been since um, since you became uh, winners of that? How has it been? Well, it's been, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's been massive, to be honest. It's been really amazing. And it's amazing because uh, myself and Doye, I think we, we are similar in a way and we are different in some ways, right? Although Doye likes to, like, uh, what's the name? Is, he likes to talk and is is that the but we're, I I feel we are still not out there. When we compare what we are doing on the ground in Nigeria and the level of publicity we have, I mean even in Nigeria we are not there yet because I think we we try to keep what we do in a way 
because we thought, I mean, the what started the entire like airbotics and all was based on Ubuntu. We just wanted to like change something which was fundamental in our community. We wanted to make sure children are actually not dying preventable death. Uh, women are actually like alive to actually take care of their kids and all. So we just do our work. It, the way Nigeria would say low key work, we just get to do our work and then just go, go around our normal life. But of course. For every entrepreneur that wants to scale, that needs extra investment, that actually wants to actually like do something massive, you need to be out there. Not because it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 something you have to do, but you should do it because you need extra investment. People need to know and see what you're doing on the ground. That's why you need to be out there. So I think this was really a platform for us. It gave us that. It gave us that. Uh, what's that word again? <laughs> that platform to actually the like, platform, to showcase, the visible, yeah, to showcase yeah. what we're doing, even at a stage we never imagined we could actually like get. So of course, I mean, in the past we've spoken with some like some really important people like Prince Avi and all, but still, this was really special because it gave us that platform to connect with big entrepreneurs in the industry, talking to, talking to Tony Lumelu, connecting with uh, all the uh, public officers in the, I mean, the US, talking to uh, uh, Secretary Anthony Blinken, and of course, the uh, the mayor of New York, and of course, a lot of other in, um, investors, I mean, that are willing to invest on the continent that don't know what we're doing. So it's been amazing, to be honest. It's actually been amazing. We've been like, getting a lot of uh, extra support from people that just heard about us from just winning the competition and things like that. So it's been amazing to be extraordinary, to be honest. Like, and yeah. of course, we look forward to some really like you know nice opportunities for Microsoft and uh, other individuals that pledge uh, their support and of course uh, to yeah. the uh, entire competition. I'm 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 sure they would listen to this and they would. Uh, They'll 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 uh, redeem redeem their pledges and 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 all that. And, you know, you talked about the the things that you're doing for the community, the things, the different uh, parts of the uh, the organization and 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 what you offer. I know uh, from what at least from what we know so far that you have two flagship products. One associated with Lend and Arm, which is more of a I can. I suspect it's more of a corporate responsibility thing, and and then you have the Mediverse. Uh, can you? Uh, give us examples of how these products have been able to cater um, for the Nigerian public. Doye, this is to you. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so this is really something I'm excited. I'm always excited to talk about. And basically, I always start by saying that Mediverse Lender Norm basically solves two sides of the same problem. So the health profit challenge, the challenge that health profit solves is simplifying healthcare provision. So most people who've never really run a hospital before not understand how difficult it can be to actually care for patients. So when bad things happen and you know hospitals, you get to a hospital, for example, and they tell you there's no doctor or they don't have this thing you need, and so they have to refer you somewhere. People really get upset with the hospital uh, because they are disappointed and maybe it may even cost them the life of their patient. But healthcare businesses before health politics were actually pretty inefficient businesses. So let me explain uh, what that the problem is. For a hospital to run, it needs staff and then it needs inputs. Before health politics, hospitals would typically interface with between six and 30 middlemen to get required inputs. So they have a couple of people who help them source for blood, some guys who help them source for oxygen, some other guys who help them source for the drugs they use, and a few other guys who help with equipment, maintenance, buying equipment. And that is not to talk about the staff, nurses and who need to work there. So what happened was patients would die because hospitals would have stockouts for various reasons. So we built Mediverse to streamline operations of a health facility. So if it's a health facility, whether it's a hospital, a laboratory, a pharmacy, a morgue, as long as it's a health facility, Mediverse is designed to handle all of its operations end to end. So 
from registration and handling of patient records to um, resource mobilization to inventory tracking to um, payroll management and staff and employee uh, you know management all the way to bookkeeping and accounting and because metaverse is cloud-based it's the cheapest it's, it's very affordable and health particularly is keen on helping rural and peri-urban hospitals uh, and so to get them to use technology it has to be cheap because they don't have the revenue base that their big urban counterparts you know can post up. The second thing that Mediverse does, which is where Lender London comes in, is because Mediverse handles all of their inventory, right? It allows for things like forecasting. It allows for things like paper, um, eliminating paper trails so they can block wastages. And that feeds into what Lendernum does. Because Lendernum, on the other hand, is an aggregation platform. So on Lendernum, we aggregate all the suppliers of essential inputs for hospital businesses. So blood banks, aggregated. Pharmacy companies aggregated, oxygen plants aggregated. So Lendernum becomes the single turnkey that hospital businesses can plug into for all their input needs. So no more does the CMD have to interface with 30 different middlemen to get his input. Now he plugs in one ecosystem and he gets everything he needs directly from source at the best possible price. And to make it much easier for them, because a lot of our customers, like I said, are in rural places, Lendernum then supplies those orders to their doorstep. So the headaches for CMDs where they're worried about stockouts, they're worried about essential drugs coming in time when they have emergencies, is eliminated because it's a single access point and it is delivered to their doorstep in a just-in-time manner. Uh, what we've noticed is that with our software integration, hospitals have been able to save up to 60% of operation costs because leaks are cut out. So middlemen off the table, uh, price haggling, which is what usually was the order of the day before we came <laughs> off the table. Credit history, which they didn't have because all of their inventory was paper inventory, is now available because now they do digital inventory. So the sales are the evidence of what the sales look like, the evidence of what the inventory turnover rate looks like. And now they can get all this credit, otherwise impossible before we came into the picture. And so that's what we do um, as a business. We essentially allow patients to get access to care in hospitals in a more efficient manner. So with us on the side of the hospital business, patients all of a sudden don't have to go in scared of what the outcomes might be because this hospital now has strong support infrastructure to deliver quality care. Yeah, no, this is this is really great. And um, because when you when you go to hospitals, especially hospitals that are not privately owned, um, you even when it's you know the infrastructure itself, as in the ones you the physical things like even where people sit, waiting room, everything, you know, it just kind of um, depresses the spirit. I was I went recently to one of the facilities in of all places, Lagos, you know, and you know for 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 our teaching hospital here in Lagos and you know what I saw in terms of even the sitting you know areas uh, not not great and how much more the the other very basic things we, uh, that are required for the um, immediate health of uh, of of the patient so you know you're you're really in a good space and the most needed space uh, you know right now well but let's let's even look at um you mentioned something else that I that that resonated. You know, the issues about gas. Um, you know, I know that we had a conversation earlier 
so I think that was last year when you talked about, you know, flowing into that space. Maybe we want to talk about that before the end of the, the program. Uh, but, but but one of the things that um, also resonates um, when we're talking about, um, you know, healthcare is is the government is the are they, the, the it also involves the policies and 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 um you know the things that kind of enable uh the environment to to make uh organizations like yours you know blossom to to meet the needs uh even better needs of of um of patients and of uh of uh, you know hospitals what policies do you think that you know the current government uh, have done or you know you know that have helped or maybe put in a better way what policies would you like to see because as we are transiting to um i mean we're going to be running our elections in the next couple of days uh counting down right now to like 10 10 days um so uh, what would you like to see or to hear um about about healthcare, about policies that can help you know really um, accelerate the growth of 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 the space you're at right now. Thank you, Matt. And so, so basically, I, I'd like to start from policy that I like. Uh, so I'd like to say that <laughs> big credit to this current government that they finally enacted the data privacy laws. Uh, so one of the problems I always had uh, before we finally came into fruition at the end of la- um, last year is that our, pri- our data privacy laws were pretty relaxed and people who were building health technology products didn't really see the importance of security, right? Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say this off the bat that, you know, I remember when I was, you know, just finishing medical school and I used one of the health record products that was on the market at the time. And I realized that anyone in the facility could view patient records. I mean, from the janitor to the doctor to the person at the reception. Patient records are literally accessible to anyone on the system, including was, including selling it to the Epa women. I was alarmed because I couldn't believe that that was a commercial product that hospitals are actually using to manage records. But with the data privacy laws in place now, uh, although I'm not really sure how strong enforcement will be, but it's at least in the law now, and so technology companies would obviously have to pay more attention. But we still have a long way to go. And I'm just going to really touch on two policy areas that are really important if we want to see the health sector match or even excel beyond what we've seen in the financial technology sector. And the first is legislation that promotes consumption of insurance. I, I can't say this enough, but healthcare is expensive. It's very expensive. And unless we sustainably finance healthcare, and of all the methods I know, insurance is one of the most uh, tested and trusted. So unless we find a way of, you know, sustainably funding healthcare uh, beyond just the government pumping in money into the health sector, now I mean people able to access healthcare affordably on a consistent basis, not because this government is happy with healthcare and then in eight years when they are gone, we go back to the old funding levels. We need something that is sustainable. So unless we get to the point where we can sustainably fund healthcare for our citizens, the health technology sector is going to struggle because at the end of the day, still the patient who pays for the product. So let's look at health products, for example. Um, of course, we're a B2B business and it's a hospital that pays us, but the hospital gets money from patients who come. Uh, so if the hospital is not patronized because the patient can afford to pay for healthcare, 
the revenue based on hospital shrinks and they can't afford to buy software, which will affect the revenue based on companies like ours. And that's basically the story around the rest of the health technology sector. Uh, we need legislation that would promote the consumption of insurance. Um, Nigeria's insured percentage is less than 10%. The percentage of insured Nigerians is less than 10% as we currently speak. Uh, we cannot grow a health sector on top of that low consumption rate. Uh, someone needs to pay for this infrastructure and it's the people. And the people would only be able to pay for it if it's affordable. If you look at the MBS statistics, health is not top three, or it's not top two rather, of the things households spend money on. Housing and food come way ahead before health and education. And that's just to show you that people who are struggling to feed and house themselves do not really seek healthcare the way they should. And that is going to affect the growth of an industry built on top of that ecosystem. And so my first policy area that I would really love governments to really push, uh, the new incoming government to really push, is we need legislation that would make consumption of health insurance easy for the general population. If we can push insurance penetration to beyond 50%, you would see unicorns in the health technology space. I can assure you, you would see unicorns. But with a less than 10% insured population, it would be really difficult. The revenue base is just so thin. Uh, the second policy area that really uh, I want to see is in the area of legislating interoperability. And I'm going to explain this a bit uh, in, a bit, uh, in a bit more detail. If we want to really benefit from a digital health system, the entire ecosystem needs to be digitized, not just a part of it. And I'll explain what I mean. In the health ecosystem, is all the health facilities together plus the ministries that are involved in supervising those health facilities. And those health facilities go beyond just hospitals. I mean, vaccination centers are included, morgues are included. And digitizing these places is just the first step. They need to be able to communicate with one another. That's the concept of interoperability. Uh, so right now we have a situation where hospital A and hospital B both use software for patient records, but you cannot transfer the records from hospital A to hospital B because the two software have no way of communicating because the guys who designed um, software A built nothing about communication, while the guys who built software B went the same way. In the US, for example, that's not, that's not allowed. There's a standard for how you're meant to build healthcare software, legislative, right? Uh, it talks about how, you, how healthcare software should communicate. And so hospitals, pharmacies, morgues, and all of those health institutions digitizing should now begin to build a network of communication. That is when we're going to get the real benefit of the digitized healthcare system. That's when you can start predicting disease patterns. You can start predicting where you need to mobilize the resources in healthcare. Without interoperability, we don't get any of those benefits of health digitization. And that's one of the problems we're facing right now, despite the fact that there's a drive for digitization. So hospitals are adopting digitization. The ministry is still using paper records. Vaccination centers are not even in the conversation at all. <laughs> Pharmacies and morgues are completely off grid. You, you see where the problem is? Uh, and even, is, even laboratories. Laboratories are not on board yet. So we cannot experience the benefits, the cost reduction benefits, the revenue increasing benefits, the planning and resource mobilization benefits of digitization until we take care of interoperability alongside digitization. It should not be an afterthought. It should be going on pursuit. And so that, for me, is, a, is, a policy, is the second major policy area that the new government needs to really look into when it comes to 
the healthcare infrastructure of our country. We need to ensure digitization is total and not lopsided, and we need to ensure that interoperability is thought of first and not as an afterthought. Just to quickly add to what Inodo said. Okay. Yeah, I was actually trying to like do an assignment in school, and it had to do with um, looking at um, digital technology in COVID-19 contact tracing in Nigeria. And I was trying to do some extensive research, and I just saw that like, even like the national strategy, national digital strategy we have in Nigeria is actually outdated, developed in 2015, and then was meant to like end 2020. Up to now, we don't have a new strategy, and that actually like creates an environment that is actually that people with digital inter intervention and innovation can actually not thrive. Because we, we actually need to actually like keep on, I mean, we need to keep up with the pace of how things are changing and update our policies, our framework to actually ensure that we create that, the government create that environment for people to actually thrive and get to do, get about their business. Yeah, so, I mean, I can, I can just imagine um, the, the whole, um, it, it's almost like every, everyone exists in silos. And we say, oh yeah, I mean, digitization is happening, but then for who and for what? You know, um, becomes uh, it becomes really critical. Um, you know, at, at at this point, so it's. Um, I think digitization has to be holistic. Uh, just to your point, it has to be. It has to be. It has to cut across. Um, I, I recall at some time when I worked in a pharmaceutical company, and we and we're looking at working with a facility, um, a teaching hospital. I think that was Loot, and we we were very keen to digitize. Uh, the Lute Pharmacy, we called it, uh, trying to get the name of that project, but it was really digitizing the pharmacy. We found out that even, you know, um, getting the getting that to work and even getting people to have the mindset to accept to, to work, you know, was, was absolutely um, challenging, you know. So, mm. so yeah, so so it is, it is an area that a lot has to be done in terms of uh, creating awareness, in terms of ensuring... Um, buy-ins and you know uh, looking at things from a very um holistic perspective but 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 again um i i see that one of the areas that i i, I think uh, um, the, the government did some some good is in this whole thing around uh, startups and you know the startup bill and uh, it may not be the most fantastic in the world but at least really thinking through it and so when we are looking at what the next government is is, is going to be looking at, I, I think there should be a lot of focus in this area. Any area that shows us doing very well in, in the country, whether it's in the area of unicorns, you know, uh, health tech uh, as, as an example of, of this area that can really blossom or entertainment. And, and, you know, we really need to kind of focus on these areas and look at what policies um, we, can, we can work with. And not, uh, you know, look at the um, manifesto of the, the the parties in details to look at what exactly they have for healthcare. But I do recall one of my colleagues and we had an event uh, recently, a member of the council saying that um, they're, 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 we have not seen a lot um, from the manifesto of this um, political parties on what they plan to do with healthcare. So perhaps this will be a call, a, a call out to them to begin to imagine what they can do, especially in the area of uh, health tech and an area, an area that can see the emergence of unicorn in, this, uh, in these areas. I, I think before we um, round off, uh, because I'm sure we could go on and on, uh, this is an exciting uh, you know, conversation for, for me, I'm sure specific to also a lot of people um, who are listening out there. 
um, you you have plans to go into other areas um, beyond what you are doing right now. Uh, I know that there are plans to go, and there are, there are some already some partnerships that you are uh, already looking at. Can you kind of fill us in on some of these things, or are they still under the wraps? <laughs> we, we we are we are really working on um, sustainability. So the long term goal for health profits is. We're, we're a startup. We, need, we obviously have the, um, the, the plans for rapid growth, but because we're in the healthcare space, uh, it, it just goes beyond the bottom line. We must be able to sustainably provide these services because as more and more hundreds of thousands of Nigerians rely on our services, uh, we, right now we process well over 15,000 patient encounters. Right. So as more Nigerians begin to rely on our services, it has to be sustainable. Uh, and so one of the um, areas we are investing in uh, as part of our growth plans is in the medical uh, gas space. So the medical gas space essentially is probably one of the last monopolies left in healthcare. Uh, COVID-19 really showed how problematic that space is. In fact, uh, Lagos state government had to seek private partnerships to establish two emergency gas production centers because the city was overrun when we needed gas for patients who had breathing difficulties. Uh, and so essentially, like I was saying, it's one of the last monopolies left in healthcare. We have basically one big player uh, there, and that's it. That's honestly, that is it, one big player. So even at teaching hospitals, um, you know, I work at, I mean, I trained and worked at the University College Hospital in Ibadan, and I can tell you that the University College Hospital doesn't have a gas plant. All of the gas it uses comes from Lagos. Uh, in fact, in the wow. entirety of Southwest, yes, I'm serious about that. Uh, in the entirety of the Southwest, uh, basically the only teaching hospital that actually has a functional gas plant of its own is the privately owned Asababala in Adoikiti. There's one in Adoikuta, but it's not functional uh, right now. And so everybody feeds into whatever comes out from Lagos. And you can clearly see how that is almost immediately a problem, right? So the cost of oxygenating patients, oxygen is such an essential thing, is prohibitively expensive. I mean, a patient can, for a whole day, uh, cost about 40% of the minimum wage. And that's definitely not affordable. So what we're doing is we're building a gas line, uh, which would be one of the few privately owned ones uh, in Southwest, our goal is to be the nerve supply for gas for the entirety of the Southwestern region outside of the Lagos, you know, access. Because the thing is, the Lagos access doesn't even have access to give out. So right now, there's a lot of strain on the Lagos access. So our goal is to decongest that and allow the rest of the Southwest flow into our chain. Uh, and that's one area we're heavily investing. We're also obviously investing in expanding our software suite. Uh, so like I was talking about morgues, we're capturing morgues, we're building software for vaccination centers, and we're building software for ministries. Although the ministry software plan is a 2024 plan, but it's in the roadmap of what we want to do. And the goal is to preach interoperability, uh, preach digitization, and preach both of them on the same pulpit, not preach one and then give the other. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's great. And you know, uh, on the overall, um, uh, when we look at the scenario we we are at, we are at right now, with the um, everyone you know traveling out, especially uh, people uh, in the medical profession, 
and you're wondering exactly what's going to happen, you know, to healthcare in Nigeria. It's it's actually a lot of relief, um, you know, to 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 see what you're doing and the level of um, opportunities that there are, and even for investors um, in in the area of uh, in the area of healthcare. Um, we're looking at a, a time when you know um, Nigerians who usually would go abroad to seek medical attention would begin to people will begin to see Nigeria as a place where health tourism can happen, you know, by, by having, you know, well-structured um, facilities that are powered by the kinds of things that you do. Um, this is really what we're, we're, we're hoping and what we're hoping would uh, land subsequently. So I'm super excited and ecstatic. Maybe that's a bit too much overhyped, but really, <laughs> And say it as it is. Quite happy about uh, the innovation, you know, uh, that you 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 you've put on the, uh, on the table. And um, you know, we we believe that you know with the right policies, um, these startups can help you know transform the health sector and you know deliver quality standard treatment to 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 Nigerian citizens. Um, just like every other thing, uh, uh, you know, we're we're we've come to the end of this program. Um, but I would like, I would like, I would like, um, just in case you have some last minute, uh, thoughts or conversations that you want to share, um, you know, I'll be very happy for you to, um, tell us about that. But I know that this is not the last time we're going to have a conversation because I know that, you know, we're going to know how you're tracking, how you're tracking, what are the milestones that have happened and all the great successes. So yeah, tell me, do you have any last minute uh, thoughts or um, word out there to the people who are listening? Yeah, so I think <clears throat> for me, I think uh, one of the very last things I would like to say, especially like in relation to Nigerian or because I've noticed that, I mean, most of the time, in fact, like starting, uh, what's the name, Health Botics and starting with Lenda Naman, moving to like a bigger, I mean, moving to Health Botics was actually like something that was a, uh, started in Nigeria, but finance from like money outside of Nigeria. We actually need to actually do more in Nigeria and of course on the continent to actually make sure we begin to actually look for sustainable ways to actually finance our startup and making sure, I mean, define, I mean, we finance them, of course, we also like create that environment for them to actually to be able to try, not just giving them money, money, uh, what's the name, um, some mentorship and then of course, broader connection to resources and uh, other things that actually help them sustain their, their their startups okay i mean that that, that is what i know that um when when the we, the we had the local the first uh digital thing in nigeria there were efforts but i i don't think those are where as sustained as we would like to see so to your point this is a great um yeah this is a great um thought you're leaving behind uh, let's let's see how we can invest in what is ours to grow what is ours and not um you know have these unicorns that we build and then we get them bought over by other people so um yeah, that's 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 a very good one so yeah thank you so much for spending your time here with us on our podcast the business exchange how business works and you know uh, like i said we have come to the end of uh, the show and we thank um Imodoe and i thank I thank Tunde for joining us today. And for our listening audience out there, we're, we're thankful as always for um, your joining us every time we, um, we have this podcast. I would like our viewers or listeners to follow us on the Business Exchange, on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, on the social media, um, follow us also at abcouncil underscore ng. 
on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Um, so make sure you join the conversation and always use, use the hashtag, hashtag the business uh, exchange, how business works. And see you same time again. Uh, thank you so much for listening.